0: Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's Friday's This Week in Startups, and we're winding down Molly's first week as my full-time co-host. We're going to cover some news today. 15% of the world's Bitcoin mining network was taken offline on Thursday after Kazakhstan, nice, uh, as president turned off the nation's internet. I kid you not. And a report just came out that 2021 crypto scammers stole $14 billion, but this number might not uh, be as bad as it seems. might, in fact, be an improvement depending on who you believe. If you
1: believe Jason, it might be worse than that. <laughs> uh, we are also going to do some fun stuff because Friday we have a We Live in the Future segment about AI enabled deep fakes delivering some shocking news to the the staff here at This Week in Startups. We're going to go over the memes of the week, all of which literally all the memes of the entire week were provided by junior associates at the <laughs> A16Z firm via mark Andreessen's twitter account and finally producer rachel has another great OK boomer interview with youtube creator and software engineer ben awad and
0: molly as a special surprise to you as a way to welcome you to the show uh the producers made this little tribute video (gasps) roll the tape
2: start Startups Welcome we would The
3: team is getting ready from Montana To Kelly Glamour To give J. Cole a big hand He's oh inflammatory, she's
2: breaking stories, but unicorn cup tables looking ever so grand. Hooray for Mollywood, all business and with with Mollywood. This really? is the show for you if you are interested in being invested. So give the notice there now. Start up the live stream now. From all of us here at This Week in Startups, welcome Mollywood.
3: Welcome, Molly. It's been a great first week.
1: This is the greatest day of my life.
3: This Week in Startups is brought to you by OpenPhone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back. But using your personal cell phone number as your company's number isn't one of them. OpenPhone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.co slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. Ourcrowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join Ourcrowd for free at ourcrowd.com/twist. And Revelo, looking to affordably scale your product development with global tech talent in US time zones? Hire vetted remote developers in Latin America with Revelo. Get 20% off for the first three months at revelloio slash twist. So uh, what's in the news, Molly?
1: Um, We're going to talk about crypto a little bit and various disruptions, specifically of Bitcoin and uh, mining and a little bit of scamming. So the big news this week, actually, which has been sort of under our radar and a lot of people's radar, I think because they haven't been laser focused on Kazakhstan, which I will forgive you.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm kind of obligated to (laughs) to do one of those.
1: You pretty much have to. So Kazakhstan has been having all of these protests, and they've been over a variety of things. There's been sort of like uh, income inequality and corruption and autocracy, but part of the protest was also around internet access, and there was a big internet shutdown. Mm. So that is, you know, your basic global news update, and for our purposes, super relevant because that internet shutdown took about 15% of Bitcoin's total mining network offline. Wait, 15% of of Bitcoin mining is in Kazakhstan? Apparently, 18% is in
0: Kazakhstan. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) It is nice. My country, we make great Bitcoin. And goats too. Um, my wife. <laughs> Ka- to my Kazakhstan. wife. She has a Bitcoin miner. I really didn't want to do it and I had to. You had I had to. to do it. I'm so sorry to the people of <laughs> Kazakhstan. It's not our fault.
1: Not, I mean it is our fault now, but it's not. Yeah. yeah. Kazakhstan is the second biggest country for Bitcoin mining. Wow. And then here's the shocker. What's the biggest country do you think? Well, I would think the U.S., right? Well, it is. I think a lot of people would have thought China, but of course, you know, China China basically banned it. And so Kazakhstan became the hub, the place that a lot of miners fled to, mainly because it's got a lot of coal-based cheap energy.
0: God damn it.
1: Mm -hmm. This is the worst aspect
0: of Bitcoin is that it uses so much energy. I know there's a lot of arguments of why it's, you know, worth it or whatever, but honestly, like, if you've got a dictatorship and you've got fossil Mm -hmm. fuel here's a quick way to make money and this yeah. is why like a global economy we have to start solving these problems on a global basis we have to get this hash rate down and and really optimize bitcoin better
1: yeah it's unacceptable and i know i'm just gonna head it off now like i have tried to on every podcast don't come to me and tell me that there's I a know. lot of mining that happens with renewable energy that's not additive renewable energy you're just replacing yes. and frankly you're taking up like land for solar panels that could have been used for something else like yay yes. with the methane flaring it's a teeny tiny percentage of the overall exactly. energy that is used but to a cool
0: methane. one i think the methane is cool or like any blow off yeah. from any type Wait. of uh you know an excess energy fine but yes you're absolutely correct that is an intellectually dishonest uh it's a dishonest take that yep. the oh we're using renewables it's like yeah but that renewable could have been used to take other carbon out and now exactly. you're using it to you know solve math problems yeah. but again Bitcoin does provide other value in the world so anyway don't add us but um this did cause Bitcoin to fall below forty three thousand I guess or was it just because the markets were royal this week with uncertainty I think a or little are, bit impossible of to tell right both now.
1: probably yeah. impossible to separate a little bit of both but certainly it's not a good sign when you realize sort of how fragile the infrastructure is for creating this and keeping this this kind of yeah operational in the future. I mean, it's a pretty big deal if 15, you know. What is it I though? Mean, I guess because if it goes the down, the supply chain has come offline and we've seen that disruption.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's the thing I'm trying to figure out is if Bitcoin, the thing I thought was pretty amazing was when China kicked out all their miners, Bitcoin didn't miss a beat, really. Yeah. So I guess we'll find out next week what the situation is because it does seem to recover from these in a couple of days. So that that yeah. I think is the biggest thing that has turned me from you know, like a Bitcoin skeptic or just like not really super interested to, ah, this feels like a real technological achievement mm-hmm. that nobody has been able to hack or shut down the network yet. 100%. That's I don't, amazing. Like, what, what's your thesis on why it hasn't been hacked or shut down yet?
1: I mean, I think that is a case where decentralization works. You can have individual yes. hacks and you can have mm-hmm. individual failures, but it's not no failure Is big enough to take down the whole system that is legitimately the power of decentralization. And then once you have something that's like between a one and a three trillion dollar asset class, Hmm. it's not going anywhere like it's certainly not. There's no I don't think scenario in which Bitcoin goes to zero. If anything, I think we just continue to find more uses for it and hopefully make it cleaner over time. Yeah. Um, you know, miners have been migrating to the United States. Now that seems like it could be because we have clean energy here, but it's actually because a lot of coal-producing states are saying, "Hey, come and use our mm. excess coal." You know, keep yes. our our economy going with yeah. That's got to
0: be banned in the United States. It's absolutely, hundred percent. We should ban any carbon for mm-hmm. cryptocurrency. That's just ridiculous to be mm-hmm. using it. It's, don't at me, please. At uh, Jason is my Twitter handle. Do not at me about this issue. The the environment is worth more than you know people having a more efficient bitcoin network yeah um but you know the yeah. internet you know doesn't hasn't been taken down wholesale either so this yeah. was a discussion we had about the internet right in 93 4, 5, 6, 7. oh my god somebody's gonna be able to take down the entire internet and i was like you know what it is so disparate now mm-hmm. that yeah you could take down a section of it sure you could clip the cable going into australia or hawaii but they still have some satellite hookups and other things and it's just it's becoming super redundant so Congratulations, Ironically,
1: you can kind of do more damage to the Internet now, I think, than you probably could to the Bitcoin network because it, uh, because of, of cloud services. Like we've done this really yes. interesting thing on the back end where we have centralized a lot of the Internet on AWS or Microsoft Azure. Primarily we created a AWS. single point of failure. Yes. We really mm-hmm. have. We've created like maybe three.
0: There actually is. I've been talking to some startup companies. There's going to be a movement of like distributed cloud. So imagine Mm -hmm. you could take, you know, if you're a Dropbox, you have your um, AWS set up, but you could also then go to Rackspace and Google Cloud and Azure and your own personal cloud. And then as users come in, it just routes them to whichever cloud is the cheapest, fastest, or you choose that. I want to load balance, you know, Netflix across five services. And I think a lot of these services are starting to do that load balance across services and then you're you're not dependent on anyone. And they're basically doing it for financial reasons more than redundancy. Uh, but uh, and a little bit it's of great I for mean, the
1: hybrid cloud thing is a lot. You know, people are doing it for security and redundancy yeah. and financial reasons. And it is like it's just a lot smarter.
0: Lots smarter. Um Great for the US, though. I think we were talking about China earlier this week. The fact that China is just becoming insular and Xi Jinping, the mad king, is, um, you know, banned Bitcoin. Is another unforced error for their economy. Like if Bitcoin is really inspiring people to create distributed systems, and a, a lot of uh, you know downstream projects are being created inspired by it, or informed by it, or in partnership with it. God, that's just like they just got rid of. It would be like throwing the internet out in 1993 or four. Uh, they're yeah. it's impossible to understand what they're doing. Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal phone numbers. They put it in their company documents. They use it for sales calls and more. And that makes things super messy. So you don't know who's calling. Is it a sales prospect or maybe someone from your kid's school? Well, Open Phone helps you create business phone numbers for you and your team members, and it works through an app that you put on your smartphone and or your desktop, and there's no need to carry two phones like I did for so long. You just pick a number, install the app, and boom, you're done. Here's a feature we love. You know how you can create a shared email for customer support and everybody responds to help at your company name? Well, now you can have a shared phone number with multiple employees fielding calls and texts. My team has been joining Open Phone and they love it to do syndicate support here at Syndicate.com. OpenPhone is already super affordable at as low as $10 a month per user. It's so cheap, but it's high quality with a lot of great features and Twist listeners can get an extra 20% off any plan for your first six months, which is an incredibly generous offer that you can take advantage of by visiting OpenPhone.co slash twist and if you have existing business numbers with other services open phone can port them over now for free and save you a ton of money while giving you all those extra features and for me you know the salesperson you have leaves the company and they've got the entire history of every customer and all the texts with your customers and that goes to the next company maybe they go to a competitor that's a disaster for you You want to own the phone numbers if you're the CEO. You want to own all those interactions. And you don't want people calling your employees for other non-business related things. It's really messy to have people use their personal phone numbers and your employees hate using their personal phone numbers. Trust me. So I want you to go to O-P-E-N-P-H-O-N-E dot C-O slash twist. That's dot C-O slash twist. But in another quick note on crypto, I don't know if you saw this. In 2021, crypto scammers sold 14 billion dollars in cryptocurrency up 79 percent year over year according to cnbc i'm not sure how they got this data uh, but here's a chart uh from chain analysis chain analysis i hear a lot of people talking about it. i don't know too much about this company but we should probably have whoever runs it on the pod because i think it's a private it seems company like it and i want to know where the how they get this data on a network yeah. that's a,
1: is seemingly relatively opaque in some ways
0: i'm sorry chain analysis not chain analysis it's chain analysis which is a terrible way to name your company. Should have been chain analysis because it is literally chain analysis. Because that's anyway. What it is. But I guess they got the domain name. Okay, anyway, I'm yeah, not going to yeah, give I'll people live. marketing lessons here. Um, I'm not going to admonish them for their <laughs> bad naming <laughs> strategies. But um, I mean, we are, but like not right now because, but not right now because we <laughs> want to get to the story. A large part of the scams occurred due to the rise in DeFi, which of course stands for decentralized finance. These platforms grew 900 in 2021, according to Chainalysis. DeFi is trying to cut out traditional financial intermediaries like banks and replace them with smart contracts. You know how this works. You take your crypto and you loan it out, yada, yada. Um, when you remove the intermediaries, you also lose protections, as we just discussed this week with OpenSea being able to freeze NFT sales. They are centralized and, you know, DeFi is not. Uh, so you re- you remove the intermediary, you lose your protection. And many of the protocols uh, could have vulnerabilities at this day because, uh, hackers getting it through. Rug pulling has also become popular with developers taking investors' money after laying out crypto projects they're building and then not actually doing them, which is what we saw during the ICO craze. I don't know if they take into account painting the tape or people front running markets, um, but CNBC also notes that legitimate usage of crypto is greatly outweighed by criminal activity. Or that's greatly outweighs the criminal activity. It yeah. greatly outweighs it. Mm-hmm. That's their claim with only 0.15% of transactions in 2021 involving illicit addresses. I'm not certain that's the way you should look at it. Um, If certain crypto projects are actually Ponzi schemes, then that Mm -hmm. would be different. These are known crimes, I guess. Right. It's sort of like different types. (laughs) There's
1: there's many, many... It's a multi-layered scamming environment, basically. (laughs) And you can have the one where you're just not going to be able to access it or you didn't get in early enough or you're... Uh, exchange got hacked, as was the case with me way, way, way back in the day. Um, Mm. And or you have the part where you just actually get scammed. But it is like the kind of you just straight up get ripped off by a criminal that has really declined over time. And it was in some ways to be expected. I guess you have this brand new thing. You have you know people who are smarter than other people who have figured out how to make money off of it. There's always going to be some amount of scamming. I will say I think that is probably the least of the in a rapidly warming planet. That's probably the thing I'm worried about
0: least. I don't like, trust chain analysis in this analysis, I'll be yeah. honest. I think that this uh leaves out a lot of the the grifts and the crimes that occur sure. unreported stuff, but you know, fine if if you know, they want to believe this, but I I I think that it probably isn't in decline. It's probably that they just don't have great data on this. And I think they're in the crypto space and I think they would probably lean towards the most charitable analysis of this. But again, this doesn't take into account if something's a grift. It doesn't take into account if people were painting the tape. And it's backwards looking too. So I think people will find out if they were involved in a grift or a scam or a Ponzi scheme like Madoff's victims five or ten years later. Mm, So if there is a giant, you know, crypto grift going on in NFTs, well, until you sell that NFT for a loss, you actually haven't uh, been scammed and that's a mm-hmm. different type of scam than actually being hacked right so being hacked i think if people are putting stuff in cold storage if they're buying stuff on coinbase locking the account and they're hodling yeah the amount of hodlers is probably so high right now that on a percentage basis the people getting hacked seems low right yep
1: yeah no that makes perfect mm-hmm. sense the part you don't know is the where the real crime is happening the part you can't see under the surface is the exactly. real iceberg
0: exactly all right in uh, our reoccurring segment w l i t f we live in the future ai generated models are getting shockingly good and easy to make i know this because every now and then people will send me uh, myself singing to rap songs somebody just sent me myself uh, ringing, singing to a biggie smalls hypnotized and it was not bad <laughs> and How'd it's getting better yeah. <laughs> i did okay actually i got to pull it up from somewhere i don't know where it is but um but we talked about this uh, ai generation i think you talked about it on your former show marketplace stack uh yeah. with Antti Bourdain's uh voice in the documentary Roadrunner film about Antti Bourdain, that was episode 1248 of This Week in Startups. They literally, two or three sentences he said in that were from email. And I thought that was an okay use of it. I think they should have told people, but mm-hmm. I I still thought it was okay. Uh I thought it was actually kind of cool, I'll be honest. Synthesia, another yeah. startup that doesn't know how to name their company and you'd never be able to <laughs> spell over the phone. <laughs> it's another company that lets you create AI videos uh, from text in 50 plus languages. They have over 40 pre-built avatars, and brands can customize their own. Uh, they've raised a little bit of money, 66 million dollars to date. That's not so bad. Perkins is putting 50 million, and there was a special AI video made for the producers. What? All
2: right. Thanks so much to the Twist team for working so hard. Jason has decided to double your carry share and your salaries. Congratulations, and thanks for all your hard work.
0: All right, that's it. I'm going into the matrix. I'm going to kill you? that AI. <laughs> I'm going to kill... Wait a second. If that AI just doubles your salaries, then I don't need half as many of you because I can just hire the AI. So, sure. I'll, I, you're all fired, and I'm doubling the share of the AI from $1 to $2. Um, that's actually not bad. Note
1: to self about my new job. Don't make jokes.
0: Wow. No, make jokes. But I mean, the the whole thing is the AI... Yeah, is, look at that. Uh, though. I mean,
1: seriously, that is, is that good. Well, it's 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 good enough. And I think every time you get something like that, that's good enough, and you can't really tell. And you get you know the uncanny valley situation where you're like, yeah. is it real or is it not real? And I'm a little freaked out. You you take a step further, and actually, I think this about the Anthony, Anthony Bourdain thing too, which is that every time you do something like that and you aren't super transparent about it, you normalize it that much more, mm. so that then. When you really start to push the envelope and, you know, have a bot announced to your company that you just doubled their salaries, yay! everyone's like, well, isn't that just what we do now? I don't know.
0: Well, also just think about people getting canceled, like some politician, you could literally take Obama's voice. And when he was on the campaign trail, you could have Obama say something completely inappropriate. And maybe that could actually, you know, in today's fake news environment where, you know, People believe that there's a GPS chip in Obama is not an American citizen. Yeah. They might believe Obama said something, you know, just horrific or something. Also, here's
1: the really bonkers part about that video. So you would look at that and you'd be like, well, it might be real, but it could just be like somebody that's sort of uh, vaguely Mark Zuckerberg like. Yeah. What's really (laughs) astonishing (laughs) is not a human man anymore. I don't care. I got a shiny two dollar bill. Are you saying that Mark Zuckerberg
0: does not cross the uncanny valley for you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I might be in agreement. I and mean, that's like I, listen, I've talked to Mark in person. That's not right. I got a funny story from How Ted. long ago? It's How long ago? I'm just it's saying,
1: sometime in the um, in the coronavirus era, he's been I replaced. was at a TED dinner years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, sure. years ago. The billionaire's he was a millionaire's dinner. Human man.
0: And he was there. Mm-hmm. And me, Evan Williams, <laughs> and it was either Sergey or Larry You're sitting there. And Zuckerberg comes up and he's talking to us. And then, like, he leaves. And I swear to God, Evan Williams goes, leads over to me. I don't know if should tell the story. He goes, he's a little odd, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, this is like, wow. I think they just
1: opened up Facebook to the public. Right. And, and he is goes, at the parties and everyone's like, and Evan's and now, just like,
0: he, he's a little strange, right? And I was like, a little?
1: <laughs> he went <laughs> Very into strange. lockdown. He went into lockdown and they replaced him.
0: Time for another R Crowd deal of the week. Right now, you can join R Crowd's investment in Blue Tree. According to the deal memo, Blue Tree has developed a process to significantly reduce the sugar in any natural liquid. That's fascinating. This lowers health risks while retaining great taste. And Blue Tree has already signed a five year, 100 million liter contract with an industry leader, according to their deal memo. So, Speaking of investments, we all know that all over the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Well, our crowd analyzes many of these companies across the global private market. Then they select the companies with the greatest growth potential and bring them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotic to quantum computing and more. In state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, and anywhere in between, our crowd identifies innovators early so you can invest when the growth potential is greatest. And that means early. So here's your call to action. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com/slash twist. And then you can review the current deal memos for free. There is no payment involved until you decide to invest. So go sign up for free and check out those deal memos where you're going to learn a lot about really interesting companies and the future. Ourcrowd.com/slash twist. But, so looking okay, at this video
1: which is almost as lifelike as Mark Zuckerberg. It, you can't, what <laughs> so is really cool. astonishing about it is that it took Justin, producer Justin, 2 minutes to make it. it took him like hmm. 2 minutes. He just typed it okay. in. Yes. And voila, Mark's sister Allison here yeah. gave every doubled their salaries.
0: I have such a great joke but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, that's what's bananas. It's only going to get better and it's going to be that easy. You're just going to type it in and a bot's going to, you know, what is kind of cool though, is that they're apparently using this. They call it synthetic AI Hmm. to train uh, synthetic data rather to train artificial uh, intelligence algorithms instead of like
0: the big, you know, clear view data. I'm not saying somebody should do this, which is interesting. I'm not saying somebody should do this, but we talked yesterday about Ben Shapiro's like obsession with uh, trans people uh non-binary people die on this hill aren't you (laughs) if they made uh if they took his podcast and then made a version of it where he was trans that would be inappropriate or
1: (laughs) you're gonna take me right down to we're just going down 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 the hill together
0: i don't know maybe we'll take it out of the show maybe
1: that's across the line (laughs) obsession is (laughs) (laughs) sus.
0: i'm just obsessed with ben's obsession with like his hill he's going to die on is that trans people trans women are not real women like he just cannot just leave trans people alone and let them I mean, live their lives just leave them alone i think is just probably life like, is really... hard enough if you're choosing to transition like they got enough yeah. challenges they don't need you obsessing over them it's
2: weird dude
0: uh all right i i do think that that's actually a val- very valid point uh that the amount of time it takes to make something that is just Kind of dancing along the uncanny valley mm-hmm. or trying to climb up it is very interesting because I always, I, when I, in my younger years, I was like, it's going to be incredible. Someday I'm going to be able to talk to an AI like Alexa or something, uh, or talk to a, a, a virtual assistant and say, I would like to make uh episode three of Book of Boba Fett, but here's what I want to have happen I want to have Boba Fett fight, you know, uh, Han Solo or meet him in a bar on Mustafar, whatever. And I come up with that and it just makes it for you. Mm-hmm. And like, you could just have a kit to make your own star Wars. Man. You know, it'd be pretty who's that, cool.
1: Who's that filmmaker that insists that everybody has to come to the damn movies to see his perfection in the art. Christopher Tennet. Christopher Tennet just had a heart attack just now. He just heard uh, you describe Christopher Nolan, that. Christopher Nolan of Tenet. Nolan, Christopher Nolan of Tenet. Thank you. Of Tenet, he just right. heard you describe the idea of just I don't like with whipping him. up I a movie, films, whipping up films, a TV show.
0: His films need to be seen in a theater. I agree.
1: I don't care. Um, He's not very... the boss of me. <laughs> you're like, I'm watching it on my old <laughs> iPad. Like, I'll
0: watch it where I've got hat an hat. iPad mini and I'll watch and also, it on there. Don't
1: be trying to serve me your weird food. That's mostly just like slime, yes. because you think you're an artiste. Mm. I okay. like a taco truck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm All right. off the rails. Okay. All right. It's just, I mean, it is the Friday show and it's been Meme a Meme of week. the week. Exactly. Meme <laughs> of the week. Okay. <laughs> Everybody knows that Mark Andreessen is known for blocking people on twitter uh and this comes after he was a vibrant tweeter but then he said so much stupid stuff that had the risk of ruin because he likes to be dank um i think the most famous guffaw he made was like wasn't there one where he said something to the effect of we should pull up the exact language because i think he said like colonization of india was like a good thing and that was a little rough yeah i think that's when he decided to stop tweeting he realized, like his sense of humor, wow, or his insights were not uh, conducive to investing in startup companies because it creates blowback to everything he's involved in. Right. So then, every time Facebook gets mentioned, if it's a story where they want to criticize Facebook, they're like board member Mark Andreessen who said something about right. colonization. I think it had to do with Mark was giving free internet to the people of India, and they were like, we know what you're doing. You want Facebook to take over in India? No, we are not poor people who need free internet. And then Mark tried to come to his defense. So we should pull that exact mm-hmm. up because it is relevant to why, for people who don't know, why Mark Andreessen is not involved on Twitter. I think it's because he said something stupid like that. Um, uh-huh. And then he blocked me after I said that was a stupid thing to say. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> You're blocked? I've been blocked, unblocked, and reblocked like m- multiple times. He was an LP in my first fund. We were kind of friendly. He was going to invest in Weblogs, Inc. Yeah, and then I had a blow up with him because I was like, "Hey, come on the pod. Hey, come speak at the event." And he was like, "No." And but have these people who are like my junior partners speak. And then I kept going back and forth with their PR people. The PR person maybe go to lunch with them. And you know how I feel about going to lunch with PR people. Mm-hmm. I did that, and she was like, "Here's how it's going to work. We're going to give you these two people, and then maybe next year Mark will do it." And I was like, "Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to ban you guys from ever being on the show ever again." At the end. <laughs> bye. And I just like walked out. I was uh-huh. like, "I'm." I didn't get where I am by like kowtowing to PR people. Sorry. To the woman over there who is like a uh, Machiavellian and like wants to control the media and they're going to create their own media empire uh, <laughs> adjacent to the rest of media. Um, but anyway, there's a big debate and he started tweeting uh, memes. So he's got somebody making a meme. So he decided have- he'd get back into the game with memes. Exactly.
1: So he blocks a bunch of people. That becomes its own weird news story. He maybe blocked Jack Dorsey.
0: Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. Jack. He tweeted did. It and I was like, oh,
1: welcome to the party, Jack. Okay, so, you know, he's into it. So so then somebody actually made the kind of excellent point that, like, Mark Andreessen blocking a bunch of people was sort of an alpha move. I guess. But then you pretty much ruin your own alpha move when you spend the next, like, eight solid days constantly tweeting yes. memes about how hilarious it is. <laughs> you <Yes>.
0: blocked everybody.
1: <laughs> so he's like, got this one. Which uh, you know, is yeah, just you block me. Classic. You invented
0: the block button and you're CEO of a company named Block.
1: Uh, Jack change the name. uh uh-huh. So see, the lady the hysterical funny. lady is supposed to be Jack Dorsey, and then Mark Anderson and is He's the, the smart kitty cat. cat with the yeah. salad. Not not the, a great not a great meme. Not a great meme. Not a great meme. Two and in ten. fact, great first reply. You can read it for our listening audience. Mark, if you need a cheap intern to make funny memes for you, shoot me a message, okay? You deserve better than this. <laughs>
0: Hilarious. Uh, and then he did this one from a friend. Uh, this is the classic, like stick figures of like everybody at a party and there's like a, a wallflower in the corner having a drink and nobody's paying attention to him. Um, and he says, They don't know I'm blocked by P. Marker on Twitter. <laughs> yes, we do. You literally can't stop tweeting it. And the people dancing having a good time are like, We do. I think that was directed at me. Um, right? Really? Maybe. Which one are you, the guy in the corner? I think I'm the guy in the corner who's mm. like wearing it as a badge of honor. Cause I always talk about it and people yeah. are like, Oh, don't you care about your relationship with Mark and Jason?" And I'm like, no, it's, like that's one of the, the great things about like, our industry. Yeah, is like, no Jason, I don't need Mark and Jason to be successful. I invest before he does. He needs me because <laughs> I can bring companies to Sequoia or to Chamath or to Sachs before he even knows they exist. So he should be nicer to angel investors and early stage investors. He's a I'm weirdo. Like, I'm a
1: little, I know. I feel I, I check when this was mm-hmm. all happening and I was like, well, I'm not blocked oh. because honestly, it would I, be? I have literally would no value to this person yeah. either way. But now I'm like, Oh, maybe this is my chance. And then would that be like a badge of
0: honor? It Kind of is being it's in the like, block club is pretty good.
1: It kind of is. It's like when we got all excited that Tay Diggs had followed us on Twitter, but it turned out he just followed everybody. Maybe that's what it'll be. By the time he gets around to blocking me, he will have just blocked everybody and it won't be any fun. Anyway, he had a whole series of these from a friend.
0: Yes, they're, and they're just terrible. made it
1: feel even more boomer, and then all of them were just awful, and it was like, you know, it's like a happy raccoon, bad opinions, verbal abuse, awful takes,
0: and bl- embrace blocking. Here's my favorite. Yeah. Logan Bartlett, who is funny. This is funny. He's actually funny, as opposed to Mark Andreessen, who is <laughs> weird, just weird. Um, it's truly remarkable to see one person <laughs> both invent the browser and kill the meme in just one lifetime. I mean, that's oh, like... Oh, that's great. I mean, Well amazing. done, Logan. Well done. <laughs>
1: So and good. then Zero Hedge, Twitter hero, Twitter user Zero Hedge, pointed out yeah. a very funny fact about Mark Hendrickson's account. Looks like oh. P- at has blocked everyone on Twitter except Elizabeth Holmes.
0: Who was following. <gasps> following Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Amazing. Praying for Exits, uh, who was on episode 1348. I don't know if you heard that one, um, but we did a voice masking for this uh, meme account. To be on the show is pretty entertaining. Uh, he did an AMA on his Instagram story today and chimed in on the P Mark situation. Tired yet of Coneheads blocked memes? Little sensitive, much? uh Conehead being like the Coneheads on Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. uh, and Mark has, uh, I guess, an egg shaped head. I think uh, is, I guess, the joke. I think he's having fun <laughs> as he should. I just wish. He would let someone help him because he could easily become VC Elon if he felt compelled to. Yes, he could be better at It's Twitter. a slippery slope. It's a slippery yeah, slope. Yeah, you got to be careful. I think as an investor, you don't want to go there um, yeah. because it blows back on your companies. Like if you're the CEO of a company and you want to be, you know, sharp elbowed, the problem is, uh, you know, if you get too sharp elbowed like that, uh, it could blow back on the companies mm-hmm. like it did on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, I so, mean, I think that's a fair yeah. point. It does make you,
1: I mean, I thought his account, I, I honestly, sincerely had a moment of wondering if his account had been hacked when I saw mm. how many of those from a friend things yeah. there were like, I, I am. I hope that was some sort of overzealous intern, but mm. if not, then he's got too, that's too much time mm. to be spending on this thing.
0: Uh, Yeah, but he doesn't do boards anymore, I don't think. Um so I think he, like, and he's got all his partners doing the investment. I think he just is, like, the figurehead now. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, uh. This one was interesting from Jane Manchun Wong. Yeah. This is her block list. She's blocked 513,000 wow. people. Wow. I think the way she did that was with these block lists. Are you aware of block lists? No. So there's a feature that they made. Uh, called blocklist, so i can take my blocked accounts export it, and give it to you mm-hmm. and so if you are on the left or the right and you don't want to hear from the other side you can export blocklist. and they made a bunch of block lists of people who were sharp elbowed um i was on one of them weirdly uh <laughs> and uh somebody like uploaded and they're like i don't see you anymore i'm like are you did you upload a block list they're like yeah i was like which one and somebody um actually i think it was will wheaton had put me on his block list for some reason and i was friendly with will wheaton which was weird um but he blocked me at some point because i said something that he didn't agree with and then he went back was like if i blocked anybody i was blocking a lot of people at some point in time and you don't want to be unblocked let me know so um but i don't know how you let somebody know if they're blocking you Uh, (laughs) i don't know yeah
1: all right so uh but clearly i I need to up my game in this department so
0: and if you don't know jane mansion wong she is the one who reads the source code and finds little tips as to what Twitter might do next. So it's a very cool account for you to follow uh, Wong M. Jane, W-O-N-G-M-J-A-N-E, worth following. All right. So um, might be news to you, Molly, or you might know that we uh, on Fridays have Rachel do a segment called OK Boomer. And so we like to uh, lead into it. So, maybe we'll bring Rachel on and to tell us what's in this OK Boomer segment. Oh, there's Hello, Rachel. How are you? you? See
2: we see uh, you. How are you?
0: Awesome. We stand awesome. you. <laughs> we good. stand you, Millennial, Gen Z. You're Gen Z.
2: Yeah, we stand I'm Gen you, Gen
0: Z yeah. producer.
2: As long as I'm not blocked.
0: You're stand, oh, not
2: blocked. Gosh. It's the opposite, right? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yes.
0: So, uh, is this week's OK Boomer cringe or not cringe?
2: Definitely not cringe. It was a really cool interview. I got to speak to Ben Awad. He's a 2018 UT Dallas grad who now works as a software consultant and a YouTuber. Um, It was a phenomenal conversation. I talked to him a few weeks ago, and it was just a really, really good talk, I think. I think everyone's going to really like it.
0: Fantastic. Any uh, questions or thoughts, Uh, Molly?
1: So you said he's a software engineer, but he's also a creator, right? And is this just like, here's what I really want to know. Is this what all Gen Zs are going to be like, (laughs) whatever your actual job is, plus your creator job?
2: I actually had this conversation with him, and I think it's really interesting um, how so many people are building in public now. And that isn't necessarily stuck to the startup community anymore. I don't think you necessarily need to be building a startup or building something that um, you want to put on your college essay to uh be a creator i find that a lot of people outside of like the startup community are doing this not just um i don't know if this makes any sense but when you go through like your tiktok algorithm on mine, I am constantly seeing people that are like developers because it's like learning you. And I think in Ben's case specifically that probably happened to him where he just started like getting fed all of this information. So we're definitely seeing like an influx in people creating outside of just uh, the startup community in public. No cap, no cap. <laughs> I like the lingo. I can't, I can't, I can't.
0: <laughs> Was that too chewy? <laughs> Is that chuggy or not? that wasn't. Cho- <laughs> that
1: was cringy, not chuggy. They both. I think it's chuggy. I it's think totally different. I think. I think, I think no cap means I'm chuggy. I will. I'll give you some chuggy.
2: Oh, Sheesh. No, the Uggs are in. Are they back? are in. Uggs are, in. are yeah, totally yeah, in. Yeah, not Emma Chamberlain. Anywhere. Yeah, Emma Chamberlain was wearing them, so they're in. Oh, thank God! She's like the the it girl. Get her on the podcast, Emma Chamberlain, if you're listening, please. All right, bet. <laughs> All right,
0: <laughs> let's go to the interview. I'll bet. <laughs> if you're looking for really qualified international developers without the crazy time difference, or if you just want to scale product velocity without sacrificing quality, Revelo is the answer. Revelo is a talent platform that matches you with vetted full-time remote developers in Latin America who work in the U.S. time zones. This way you don't have to stay up late or not communicate with your developers. These developers are more cost-effective compared to hiring in the U.S., and your engineers are going to collaborate with you in real time. You'll get matched with vetted candidates within three days. Compare that to the three to six months it takes to hire a developer if you're lucky. And after they find the talent for you, they handle everything else, payroll, taxes, benefits, etc So you can hire internationally without the logistical overhead. And trust me, there's a lot of overhead when you hire international folks. You want to make sure that you're paying them correctly and taxes, all that stuff. So Revelo's engineers are full-time and embedded in your team like normal employees, and they're proficient in AWS, Rust, Ruby, React, Python, Node.js, and more. They've got great customers, including GitHub, Foursquare, Carta, Indiegogo, and Kickstarter. So just go to revelo.io slash twist and mention twist to get 20% off your first three months. Plus, they offer a 100% risk-free 14-day trial period. If you're not satisfied, pay nothing. So head over to revelo.io slash twist and mention twist to get that 20% off.
2: Thank you so much for being on today's show, Ben. So Ben is a 2018 UT Dallas grad who now works as a software consultant and YouTuber. He has more than 367,000 subscribers on YouTube, 760,000 followers on TikTok. And I think I actually found you on YouTube, even though you um, have been taking TikTok by storm. I absolutely love your video handling the business side, which is just a bunch of jokes about tech and like pitching startups. And my favorite app of yours has to be the dating app for programmers where users swipe on each other's code rather than photos. And before you came out with more of the comedy stuff, I did watch some of your tech videos, but I didn't really like put two and two together until TikTok. And I realized, wait a minute, the Ben that I watch coding interview uh, content about is the same Ben making the jokes over on TikTok. And that video was coding interviews are broken. And I actually think you've more than like, 1 million views on that video now which is absolutely incredible to see i found that video when i was going down a rabbit hole with tech with tim videos i don't know if you know or watch any of his videos but i absolutely love him and one of the comments was coding interviews are like school tests they both both make you memorize stuff you will never use and i think that is a great place to start if that's okay with you i'd love to start talking about the next generation of software engineers and. Do you think there's going to be a change in how the next generation of software engineers are interviewed?
4: I do, but I think there's going to be like a split. So there's going to be like the top end like fang companies, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, excuse me, Meta, Netflix, (laughs) Google, right? I don't think they're going to switch up that much. And the reason why is they don't really have any incentive to switch it up right now. They have so much demand that they want to make it as hard as physically possible. And they just like to get the cream of the cream of the crop. But in my opinion, like at like when you get outside of those companies, we're gonna see more and more companies like switch it up a little bit. Cause one thing you have to realize is like what you do on the job and what you're tested in the interview happens to be very different. And so more and more engineers are just like, yeah, I'm just not gonna interview at the companies that ask (laughs) those questions anymore. So if you if you're a company who's having trouble hiring, part of it could be the interview process is testing for the wrong things. Because you can have senior engineers that are great at their job, they just haven't studied algorithms in the last 3 years because they didn't need it for their job. Mm-hmm. And so now they're going to study LeetCode to go get their job. It makes serious sense. What happened to all the experience they had? You should be hiring them for like the job experience that they have. Um so I do think there's going to be more people switching over and I think it's already happening. I think there's less um but they're still going to exist five years from now. They're still going to ask them, and you know what? You as a software engineer just have to decide: is the company I really want to work at worth it for me to grind, you know, algorithm questions? And sometimes the answer is yes, because like the compensation package that you know these big companies give you that ask those questions are fantastic. But there's tons of other companies that are fantastic as well that don't ask those questions. So yeah, that's my two cents.
2: Which one do you think that Gen Z is more interested in—the flexibility of like the startup culture? And um, kind of like the coolness right now, I feel like that it has, or the compensation that they know big tech is is driving.
4: I think they're going to be. They want both. Like different people want different things, and they're just going to like. I don't think you can say Gen Z as a whole is going to want startups more. But also the thing is, startups pay a lot of money now too. Especially if you get like the like mid tier that are like around 100 employees or whatever. Like they pay really well too. I would say like the like Fangs a little overrated in like how good they are in the sense of there's tons of other companies that are don't have the fang label um yeah. that pay very comparable um if not more um and they you know just don't have the name recognition that fang has uh with that said like yeah i think like personally i'm more interested in working at startups in general than i am working at like say as like a google just personally because i just like smaller companies and smaller teams um, and i think some gen z is going to be like that but some gen z like, you have to realize like still to this day like as a computer science student like at least fifty percent of them are like studying and wanting to go to like a big fang company. Like I yeah. don't think the culture's gone. The culture's there. There's a reason why you just like bang, fang, fang. That's all you hear. <laughs> and you know, they're a great place to work. Like if you can get in, you should go and you should work there. Like, why not? Like then you can work anywhere too.
2: Yeah. Well, and speaking of I mean, working anywhere, again, you had a video online that talked about moving to a Boring place. And I think you said that was Tennessee. And you tried yep. out like LA and New York City, and you ended up in Tennessee. I guess this is like a two-handed question that I have for you. Number one is probably, do you think younger software engineers are really pushing for like this remote work? Or do you think they do want to go back to that culture that um lies in Silicon Valley or New York City where they have ping pong tables in the offices? And then also, do you think that boring cities are better for programmers because the other cities that have all these opportunities just aren't necessarily geared towards being a software engineer like you mentioned in your video
4: yeah so so i think it's like two different types of people so for the first one like i do think remote work is like going to like be the thing like i okay. think just a, especially if you were working during covid and you tasted remote work like i think most people More people enjoyed remote work than didn't enjoy remote work, at least programmers. I think other people in other industries were like, oh my gosh, I need to get back to the office. Like one of my family members is in business and they're like, yeah, I want to get back into the office. It's so boring working by myself. But like programmers, I feel like the vast majority of them are very happy doing remote work. You know, some of them want to go into the office. That makes sense. So I do think there's just going to be more companies that like are remote first and they support remote things. I don't think that's going away. I think that's like super important. And as far as like boring cities versus LA, sf like new york city i think i'm actually just kind of weird like personally i cannot get any work done when i'm in like a city like new york um i actually haven't spent that much time in sf so i can't really comment sf i've just heard it's like kind of a crappy place right now and like everyone's moving to like austin or (laughs) new york so like i'm like all right why would i go visit now it's like at the worst like peak of time ever like i'll probably go visit at some point but i can't comment on sf but for me, like when I'm in New York, all I do is like go eat like I get wine and dined, I'm eating food, I'm going and doing things I'm doing nothing related to work whatsoever. like the entire city is just like gets me in a mood to not code. So like I do really well when I'm in such a boring place that there's no option for me to do anything but actually get the work that I need to do done and so i've I've been incredibly productive in Tendency. Like I just had a stretch of time where I was not consistently posting YouTube videos. And that was because I was traveling and going to like quote unquote fun cities. And now I just am getting back into a regular routine because like there's just nothing else to do here. Like I just I just do that. And so like I like a mix of both though. Like I can't just live in a boring city my entire life. Like what I like to do is this is like my haven to do work. And then like I'll go to conferences or meetups or whatnot in like bigger cities yeah for like a week for funsies or whatever for
2: funsies i feel like that's why austin is like such a draw to be honest with you right because i feel like la and new york i want to say like overstimulating but i don't even know if that's the word because it's and it's not fomo but just the fact that there is so much to do and the fact that you have to do that it feels like you have to do so much and also the process and i've been to austin quite a few times and i think it was one of my favorite cities for tech i was just in miami and austin still is like prevails for me because i think the opportunity there is first off there's a lot of cool people in tech there and second off i don't feel that like need to be doing stuff like all the time have you ever like considered moving to austin
4: so i definitely like i lived in austin so long so i actually lived in austin yeah. like 23 years of my life so okay. i really like austin it is like a really nice middle ground because like there's stuff going on but also i didn't feel a need to like do it all the time so yeah. i could see myself Probably going back to Austin at some point, and that might be just like the place that I live like more long term later. But I would lived there so long, I was like, all right, I want to try something new, because something like, totally new. And everyone's also moving to Austin right now. That Austin just yeah. getting so busy,
0: <laughs> yeah. And, like it's
4: so different than it was like a couple years ago. That it feels a little weird. And Like there's so much traffic and stuff now that I'm also like, like Austin's like too cool. I need to go to like more hipster of a place now. It's like too mainstream. Oh now. my gosh! But, like <laughs> I actually kind of like Dallas when I was in. Um, when I went to school there. So I can see myself like in Dallas or like Plano area uh, as well. I like Texas a lot. So I could do that. I might do Austin. We'll see. We'll see how much I like Tennessee. Maybe I'll live in Tennessee longer. But I'm kind of like trying out some different places Yeah,
2: Yeah, I totally get that. I I definitely see Dallas as a really young city. I went for my second time um, over the summer. It was so cool, like a very cool city. And I wouldn't be surprised if more tech people actually started migrating over there. I was also looking at rent and the difference in rent is like astronomical, but there are still a lot of young people in Dallas. Like it's so surprising um, to me that more people aren't moving over to Dallas during this whole, I don't know. I want to say work from home movement, but I guess it's not even a movement anymore because everyone's kind of just been doing this for like two years. How did you start even putting content up on the internet? Because I don't know of many, I feel like the people that I watch that are young our generation um, YouTubers that deal with tech are very few and far between. There really just aren't that many. Like I mentioned, like I think Tech with Tim is probably like one of my the people that I've been watching the longest. And yes. I really can't name that many other people in his genre and your your genre that are taking over the space. So why did you decide to start creating content over on YouTube?
4: So I have like a really weird origin story because <laughs> when I was sixteen, I took a Java class. This was like my first intro to programming thing, and I tried it, I did pretty well at it, I liked it, and I wanted to kind of start making things that I could actually use. Because mm-hmm. like, I got like the abstract concepts on paper, but I was like, all right, this is no fun, I wanna actually do something. And so what, one of the things you could do with Java at that time was build Android apps. And I had an Android phone. So I was like, okay, I'll build some Android apps so I can actually like get something on my phone. And for whatever reason, I decided to live stream myself on Twitch making an Android app. I don't know why I did this. I can't tell you, but it happened. I think I might have been like 17 or 18 at the time when I actually did that because it like took me a little bit to actually learn Java to even be able to like open Android Studio and do that thing. But I streamed myself on Twitch and it's a terrible stream, by the way. Like this is somebody who has no idea what they're doing. You're literally watching me for like two hours, just like Google errors and like get no progress done whatsoever. So terrible content, not a good stream but I did it and I did it for like a couple times and then I posted it on YouTube uh, just like the recordings afterwards. And then I didn't yeah. look at it for like a year. Right. And oh then I came gosh. back uh, maybe I was like 19 or something. I don't remember, but I looked at the, my YouTube channel and that video had gotten 10,000 views. I was like, Holy crap. Uh-huh. Like 10,000 views is a lot for somebody that's never made a piece of content before. Like that's a ton of views, especially when I was like that young. So I was like, holy moly, like, this is a terrible piece of content. Like, this is not good. I don't know who's watching this. Like, what? So I was like, you know what? What if I try this again, but I just like put a tiny bit of more effort into it? Like, can I make better content? And so that's what I tried doing. Is I just tried making like slightly better content than I was doing. At first, I was terrible. So this was the other thing. I knew it was bad, but I also knew I was slightly better than the video that had 10,000 views because that was extremely bad. So my strategy was to just start making content around the stuff that I was learning in my free time because I was like coding and stuff. And I was like, all right, if I'm going to get better, I should just make a crap ton of videos. So I just made like a crap ton of videos. Like we're talking like I have like, if you look at my video log, I have like maybe a thousand videos. A oh thousand videos a lot of videos. It's a lot of coding tutorials. Probably like 800 of them are coding tutorials or something. Because I just like sat almost on a daily basis and just like made a video. And just like to practice to get better at it. And then, yeah, it just kind of went off from there. Like I just kept making more and more videos and here we are today.
2: And that's how you really make a good software engineer is doing all that practice. But holy shoot, like that's a ton. And how old were you when you said you started this?
4: So I think I was like maybe 19-ish or something when I started doing like YouTube more seriously, if you will.
2: Okay. Okay. That's so awesome and so i guess you said those videos you're in the beginning were really bad then what makes a good youtube video because right now you have a great (laughs) blend of i think like just being quick and funny and like the self like deprivating humor and then information Mm -hmm. at a really high pace first off i guess like what do you think makes a good video and then also how did you find out that you should start like going i don't want to say into comedy but it's kind of like how did you decide to bring more of humor into your videos because i know those weren't you weren't showing how funny you were in the beginning of your youtube journey
4: i think it's very different depending on what niche you are the different like in one niche it can be drastically different what qualifies as a good video and for me i was making coding tutorials for like maybe two years straight or something but in that time once in a while i would do like a slightly different type of video than a strict coding tutorial and when i say coding tutorial basically what i would do is i'd sit on my computer I'd start coding something like a website and I'd narrate my thought process as I'm building it. So that was the type of video I was making. And then once in a while, I'd mix in, if you will, my thoughts on technologies. Like somebody would ask me, what do you think about JavaScript or this JavaScript library? I'd make a video answering that. And all the videos where I was starting to put like my analysis on what I thought like a good library was or something, that video usually got more views than the one where I was just sitting there coding. So that was something I had like, in the back of my head as of making content that those usually did better. And then it was April 1st, I posted just like, I was like, you know, what? let's just make a funny video, right? Because April Fool's Day and I made a video about something of like, it was something about React, like me and React are breaking up or something and I put a, like emotional video or something and I started to be, decided to be like sarcastic in that video, right? And that was the first time I think I was ever sarcastic in a video. On YouTube up until that point, I was just like genuine, like I'm just like teaching how to code. Like that's all there is in it. But anyway, that video did way better than all my other videos, right? Um, so oh I was like, God. hmm, that's kind of interesting. What if I do <laughs> another video like that? Not on April Fool's Day. Um, and so then I just like kept iterating on the concept of like introducing sarcasm and humor into uh, my videos because I am naturally like that. Like I'm just naturally kind of sarcastic. I'm just
2: naturally really funny. So
4: <laughs> well, not not funny is not the right word. But I, like, I was, like, the the camera act was me being very serious to make coding tutorials. Like, during coding tutorials, it's easy for me to be serious because, like, we're talking a serious topic, we're coding, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But also, I was, like, basically not showing a side of myself, which was the sarcasm bit. Like, when I started doing that, like, it was, they liked it. So, I kept doing it. And, like, here we are today. And then what I think it makes a good video is, like, a mixture of, like, one, also, I think, like, how concise you say things. So, okay, this is, this is my basically my template for making good video. This is what I like to put in mind. So one, some like form of humor or sarcasm, if you will. Two, being concise, not putting like fluff. With that said, there's some fluff that you can put. You have to, you have to know what fluff is okay and what's not okay. But I like to be in general pretty concise. Um, and also, I think one of the most important things on YouTube is picking a topic people care about. You can make the most interesting video ever, but nobody cares about your topic. So I would say, okay, there, this is, there's like three things. As a YouTuber, there's three things that you can do. Well, any type of content, but this is how I think about YouTube. There's three things that how you can improve. One, the like quality of your actual video. So that means maybe like the video itself, um, how you talk, your mannerisms, your hand motions, blah, 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 blah. That's what's one element. And that's like, you can tell how well you do based on watch time. That's the analytic you look at then you can see if the topic of your video is good based on the title. So if you're picking good titles for your video, that means you're picking good topics and that's through the click-through rate, that and the thumbnail. So if you're picking an interesting topic, that helps you so much. Like you can be a boring person but you're talking about interesting topics and you drop some hot takes. That that also helps is like I'm just like kind of opinionated. It turns out being opinionated on the internet's kind of helpful. And then lastly, that yeah, thumbnail. Thumbnail, title and content, those are like the three things. You just like hone the thumbnail and I'm terrible at thumbnails, so I actually I don't think I'm good at thumbnails. I think I'm okay thinking about topics of videos, and I think I'm okay doing like the actual talking in videos. The lucky thing for me is there's just not that many tech YouTubers, so that worked out for my benefit. Like it's, there's still not that many. Like yeah, I feel like a lot of people. If you're a CS kid that like, grinds making tech content, you can make it in
2: switching over. Kind of a 180. But well, we had a question from another producer about design trends um, in the software engineering community engineering community in general do you see any designs that are popular right now between engineers that just haven't hit mainstream mainstream yet
4: i okay so i'm maybe like the opposite like i know people are like like a certain thing wobber and like it may not be the thing that everyone's using and it's not mainstream and they like pick that and they like grow with it and they like think everyone should use it right Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I happen to just be using all the hype technology. Like, unfortunately, uh-huh. I happen just to be a mainstream person when it comes to like technology right now. Okay. So I actually use what's called the Hypebeast stack because the Hypebeast stack just happens to have all the hype technologies. Okay, so it's called I the
2: Hypebeast stack?
4: It's called the Hypebeast stack. And oh the Hypebeast yeah. stack includes TypeScript, which just happens to be the most, like, is growing yeah. popularity in JavaScript. No Node.js. React JS, which is the most popular React framework, uh, and then PostgreSQL, which is probably like one of the most popular databases. And then I like to use GraphQL, which is from Facebook, which is quite popular. You could say maybe that's like a little bit of an underdog, but <laughs> not really. Like, so, I, I, so one of the things why I, I happen to like these too is the communities around them are really good. And sometimes smaller communities are good, but there's just not as many resources. So it yeah. just happened that I liked all the most popular technologies, So I happened to run with them. But if I didn't like them, I'd be using some other stuff. So like just like to throw out a name out there, like I do like making things with Svelte, which is just like a smaller front end thing that like you could say competes with React. I'm a fan of it. I enjoy using it. It's great.
2: Okay. I also just
4: like React better. And that happens to be the mainstream one. I heard you're like yeah. a huge
2: fan of React, actually.
4: I am a huge fan yeah. of React. So exactly. So I'm just kind <laughs> of the mainstream person that uses the mainstream things right now. And yeah. okay, okay. My hipster take. Okay. So I guess the the one thing I do like that's less mainstream is I did make a project using Elixir and I quite liked Elixir.
2: Okay. Um,
4: and so yeah. I'm a fan of that.
2: Something to be said about community too, because I think as, again, pushing on being like as somebody that's young and in tech, the amount of like discords and Slack I'm in, because like things weren't working it's so much easier to be on something that's an extremely popular platform like for example i was really interested in going into like ux ui for a little bit but it wasn't really my major in college so i took like a class that was literally taught by another student that was like free on my campus and just joined like a bunch of discords on figma and because figma was the most popular one any problem that i could ever think about that arose another person already had do you have any recommendations i guess to to wrap up here that you have for younger software engineers or content creators? like What's your mm-hmm. advice that you have to them?
4: Um, okay, so this is what I'll tell programmers first is you should be building projects. And then everyone asks me, Ben, what's the best project I should make for my resume? And I tell you, you shouldn't make a project for your resume. And what you should build a project for is either yourself, if you can think of a good idea, but some people just can't think of good ideas. I'm one of those people. <laughs> I haven't like, made my own project in a very long time. I build projects when somebody else tells me a good idea. I'm like, huh, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll make that. So if you're one of the people like me and you can't think of good project ideas, you should go talk to your parents or talk to your friend and ask them what their billion-dollar startup idea is. They're going to have a couple for you. And then you're like, you know what? That one you said there kind of sounds interesting to make. And you go actually code that and you build like a somewhat useful project. Um, So that's why I recommend programmers go out and do that. And it's very helpful. Uh, for content creators, what I'll say is the difference between like content creators that are making content or like, you know, that made it and ones that haven't is the ones that made it just like kept making content. So what I'll say is like for content creators, if you're getting started, uh, you need to make some bad content because bad content <laughs> is how you get good at making good content and you can't make good content without making bad content. So there's a lot of people that are worried about putting out their first piece of content because it's going to be bad. Well, you should put out that bad piece of content because that's how you get to the good content. Uh, Maybe just use an alias if you feel bad about the content you're making.
2: (laughs) That is such a good. I like that advice a lot. Actually, one of my favorite accounts. I don't even know his name, Mm -hmm. but he has like a bunch of subscribers now. But his name on YouTube is just Better Ideas, and Mm -hmm. I'm like, I love that because like you don't you don't got to put your name out there. Somebody Google's you during an interview, you're never going to be found. But no, that's awesome advice. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, What's your YouTube? uh twitter whatever people can find you on tiktok github
4: (laughs) yeah just search ben space awad a w a d you'll find me on the webs like yep
2: awesome awesome well thank you so much for being on ben really excited to talk to jason about our conversation